We missed a week last week, so we're picking up from um, a, the primary subject this morning is the term first trusted. And I'll have you turn to Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, read a verse. I think, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to understand uh, my approach to the scriptures at my age now a poll last 40-something years, uh, studying the way I study and, and the subjects that I see, it's as though I'd never read before in my life. And, uh, and that, that's good. There's growth in uh, the scriptures, so to speak. That is to say, uh, you'll learn one thing and then there's something a little bit more about that you need to know or, or maybe you don't, maybe you need to get rid of and, and consider. Uh, and then, and the subject we have here concerning knowledge and acknowledge has to do with what I would call action. Action by, on our own, by our own selves. That we, uh, can make a move and, or do something that will actually benefit us when it comes to, uh, understanding the scriptures. But let me read verses 1, 12, and 13. Uh, I get the right chapter here. <clears throat> that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ. Now, when I read that verse, I, I would normally look at that and say, "Okay, He's talking about people who uh, have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and this goes back to the their uh, to that date that they uh, believed that they they were saved." And the next verse says, "In whom ye also, and the word trusted is not there, in, in whom ye also, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And once again, this makes it appear like he is referring to what? Uh, the, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So he even used the word salvation there. And whom also after you you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So the issue that we want to consider here is what in the world is this talking about? You know, we, uh, it, it speaks of being of a time that we first did something, which is honestly not the case. What we're going to see is this word trusted, first of all, means in, in the Greek, actually, is a word that means uh, hoped. So here he's talking about a hope. And I'm not going to go into the great detail you would need uh, to do, and, and neither do I have that ability, uh, in the Greek itself to uh, come up with an understanding of that very thing. So let's let's kind of work our way through this partially today, and hopefully more. And uh, and that's going to be the the stepping stone. That is this idea of being the first hope or or first trusted. Uh, what you will get from this, or what the the point is to be, is that uh, it's not so much the fact that you went back in time and you're talking about your salvation, but now he's talking about a hope. Get this now. He's talking about a hope that is given to a new group of believers here in the book of Ephesians. 
And and what this will lead us to is there's is knowledge, number one. We see that the very first 14 verses here speaks about knowledge about particular things. We read that in, uh, let me see, verse 16, 17. Verse 17 speaks about knowledge, or we want to find out if that's actually the word acknowledgement. So the, the question is, is he talking about the day that I was saved, or is he talking about a day that is associated with a hope that is of a high calling? And a long list of things here that we don't find elsewhere in Scripture. Is there a, is that the case that there is uh, something more than what we would normally think here? So that's where we're going with this. I will uh, remind you or call your attention to three particular things in this first chapter of, of Ephesians. And I will uh, make sure you understand that this is not something Barnabas Bagby came, came along and understood, but that Mr. Welch himself did. He's divided chapter 1 into three, at least the first 13 verses, or 14 verses, in, into this manner. The will of the Father. So verses, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 speak of the will of the Father. We're separating the Son and the Spirit. So, uh, verses 1, 7 to 11 speaks of the work of His Son. So the will of the Father, the work of His Son, and then 12 to 14 is the witness of the Spirit. And really, if you kind of just think about that a little bit, there is an order to what he's got list, listed here on this, uh, on these couple of pages in front of us. And, uh, and, and it has to do with the, with the Father, the Son, and the, and the Spirit. Each one has something that is associated with uh, them. And, uh, it's, it's to a group of people. It's to anybody who wants to read it. Elipso. And, uh, and, and it's, it's an under, something we need to understand. So to begin with, <clears throat> I will call your attention to, uh, the appendix number 104. If you have a companion Bible, you don't have to look, you can listen. But, uh, if you look at appendix 104, which is page 150 of the appendices, you will see that this subject of pronoun, I'm sorry, uh, prepositions uh, has uh, two pages here of information that we might be interested in. So, uh, 
pro, and, 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 and we read here, pro governs only one case, the genitive, and denotes the position as being in, in sight or before one in place. Uh, the example, the, 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 uh, okay, is there anybody still awake here? Uh, so that's, that's not the most exciting thing I've read so far today. Uh, this has to do with some important information when it comes down to the Greek and whatever. And what we begin to find out that, or what we begin to consider here is that, uh, when, when I read the verse that says we should beat, uh, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, who first, and I would change it to first hoped in Christ, is he talking about our salvation there? Or is there something beyond that? And without going into great detail, which I couldn't do anyway, of the Greek and so forth, how to approach the words here, we see that there is something that that, that we need to at least take a shot at. Uh, here we're we, um, suspecting that being, you know, this first trust or this first hope uh, has certain values and whatnot. And uh, so what I'm proposing here, based on these things that we're talking about, is that when we speak of a first hope or first trusting in Christ, we are actually speaking about a particular hope. And uh, and, and we'll try to understand some of that here as we go along. Um, so before we do this, uh, let's let's consider something. You know, let me ask a question here. How many hopes are there in Scripture? So it may help us to understand this particular hope is is a little bit different in the Greek than some of the other words and so forth. But there are several hopes. And one of them is a big deal. It's right here in front of us in verse 18 when we read, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of your calling? Oh, it doesn't say that, does it? Do you know what is the hope of his calling? So here's a hope. It has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and his calling. And he tells us what it is in the, the remaining portion here. And what the rich, or he tells us what is associated with that. What the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now things get a little bit, uh, Hopefully, they will probably become more. But what you begin to see here is that these first 14 verses need to be handled differently than just picking it up and reading it. But to there's a lot here in these first 14 verses. And we're not going to go into all that. We've t- attempted to do some of that in the past few lessons. But uh, here is something that speaks about the hope of his calling. And the fact that there is a group of believers... That it is associated with. There is a hope that is associated with a particular group of believers. And if you read this chapter without knowing anything about it, if you read this chapter over and over and start comparing it to anything in Scripture, you're going to be surprised. Other comparing Colossians, yeah, Philippians, and some of these others. But um, anyway. Let's go through a, a, a quick list here, just of a few of the hopes that the scriptures speak of, because somewhere in there uh, somebody fits in one of one of those, 
And in some of these cases, there's some overlap and whatever. But uh, I'm going to tell you to turn there. We're going to start with going to Acts 30 or 23, Acts chapter 23, and verse um, six. See if we got the right verse here. Uh, 20. I'm sorry. 23. Okay. Yeah. Okay, 23.6, we read this. Uh, we're gonna, let's back up, get the context a little bit. And Paul earnestly, verse, uh, one. Paul earnestly beholding the council. This, this is the Sanhedrin. He's still, this is, we're in the Acts period. He's in Jerusalem here. He's being tried, or, they're, uh, try him and so forth, legally. Uh, it says, uh, men and, sh- men, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. And then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou uh, to judge me after the law and commandments, commandeth me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by revilest, uh, and they that stood by, they said, Revilest thou God's high priest? And then Paul said, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. I didn't know he was the high priest, for it is written that thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, in the Sanhedrin, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in position. So, here's one, uh, you know, if you were going to compare or whatever, we can see that something's happening during the period, during the Acts period, that Paul recognizes a particular hope. And, and he realizes the subject matter here is going to divide these people, going to divide the Sadducees from the Pharisees, and that's going to be to his benefit. But anyway, here's, here is a hope. Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, verse 15, or chapter 15. And real quickly, I should say that because I'm going, but here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, Oh, 15.19, I'm sorry. So back up a couple of verses here. He says, uh, oops, 14. Sorry, folks. Uh, let's, let's say, uh, verse, sorry, in verse 16, for if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are, you are yet in your sins. Paul had a problem here with these Corinthians, and particularly those who were uh, you see and uh, and then it comes up. So he's exp- he expresses the, he gives the answer by writing them a letter. And uh, if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all of men, all of men most miserable. 
And uh, is that the verse I wanted? So here it is. He says, we have hope in Christ. So we will see scattered throughout the scriptures that were written next period. Resurrection was an important of the hope. They wanted to get out of the grave, obviously. So hope generally has a lot to do with what's going to happen to us uh, in life beyond the grave. Uh, so I won't go through a long list of those, but uh, but they are certainly um, valuable to us. And let me look here at Ephesians 2.12. And we'll notice notice this. This is important. So I'm going to read verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time. He's speaking to Gentiles. He says, being, is that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in flesh, made by hands. In flesh, in flesh. Get that in your mind. That's who he's talking about. He's not talking about those who are in spirit, those who are saved. He's talking about these particular people in past, in the past. Verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. God in the world. This isn't a matter of uh, there were great Gentiles that lived during the Acts period and da 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 da. This had, there is specifically an issue with the hope that here is associated with Gentiles during during the time that Paul is speaking speaking and bringing this to our attention. So I, we don't have time to go through and understand all that and discuss all that, but. Put that aside and look at it sometime to understand how uh, Paul was now dealing with the Gentiles differently than what we see in the Acts period. Uh, chapter 4 4. He says, There is, well, let's start in verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body. One spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. So he makes makes us makes it clear that there is one hope associated with this calling. I should have read a couple of verses before this that speaks about their calling. And this is a, a subject matter that certainly you need to understand. You need to understand chapter two of which we just read, when it came to to a hope. So he says there's one hope. Well, we've already I think we've already found more than one, just in the little bit of reading that we've done here. Uh, we look at Colossians 1.5. Pardon me if I'm insulting your intelligence, because these are things that I think we know fairly well. Verse 5, uh, let me... Uh, Three, he says, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which we have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. 
which is coming to you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. So hope is associated with something that people have, are learning about at this particular point in time. Once again, I'm sorry we don't have time to really express all of that. Uh, let me look at verse 23 of the same chapter. If you continue in the faith, and I think we should say here, since you continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not, uh, and, and, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard and which was preached in every creature, we might have an argument here there, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So here's a hope. It's going along with what we find in this particular book, specific to some of the things we find here in this book. It's going to be associated with this first hope that we talked about already. I think that's what we're trying to do here right now. What about that first hope? What does that mean to me? And so forth. Uh, finally, in verse 27, he associates this with the mystery. When he says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, Christ among you, very important, Christ among you, the hope of glory. So I've just given you a bag of list, a list of, uh, of hopes, and uh, it, we're not going to sit here and, and argue and Develop that into well. What, it, what does that mean? We don't have time, but it's part of this lesson. This this is arise. This this comes to our attention that there is a, there are several hopes, and there are aspects of those hopes that we can be concerned about. Now, there's one more that was a biggie that we didn't look in chapter 28. Uh, Go with me as we read a few things here. Or we go back a little bit. I'm going to go back to verse 13 of Acts chapter 28. I want to make sure I'm doing this right. Um, okay. So this is Paul. A few of his uh, brethren, shall we say, the brothers and sisters in Christ, He's on a boat ride to Rome, and this is this. They're finally approaching Rome here in the verses we're going to read, verse thirteen. And from thence we fetched a compass and came to Regium, and that's approximate. That's down toward the boot of Italy. If you look at the map of Italy, it's down toward the boot, I believe. And after one day, the south wind blew, and we came the next day to put. Putti Oli, which is uh, Putti Oli, which uh, what well, says two day trip right there, and now there's something like thirty miles, or I don't know, if they're much closer to to Rome. Now, as you read the next few verses, he says here where we found brethren, and were desired to tarry with them seven days, so we went to Rome. So let me just mention here, there's two. Types of, uh, when I say Jews, I, I say that Paul, particular place, 
It's where, it's where they found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days, and so we went to, to toward Rome. What I want to know is, at least it passes through my mind, there should be a boatload of people and more standing there waiting for Paul. I mean, if you go back to chapter, or go back a few chapters in Acts, when Paul began this journey, and the fact that he was on his way to Rome. Remember, there are a lot of people that wanted him dead. Not one of them standing here. And then there were men, oh, let's, let's turn over to the book of Romans real quick. And, uh, I'm trying to spend too much time here. But, Romans chapter 16. <clears throat> so when he wrote the, wrote the book of Romans, where was he at? Well, he wasn't in Rome. But he wrote to the people in Rome. And so, Romans chapter 16. And beginning in verse 1. I'll read this whole chapter. But he says, I command unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Syncria, that ye receive her in the Lord as become saints, that ye sister in whatsoever business she has need of, and let me read on down, verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my help, hopers in Christ. So here's Paul writing a letter to Rome. He was not on his way. This was before he was on the boat. This was before he arrived in Roman, Rome. And they knew, these are people that he knew real close to. Go through and read the whole list of this. And then there's some that were not so, he's not so close to. You can see that the, See that list after verse, uh, starting in verse 17. So where all the, I mean, this tells me he had a great calling or a great influence on people who lived at Rome, but he himself had never been there. And I'm wondering over here in Acts, where's this mass of people? And furthermore, there were those who wanted to put him to death. The very reason he was on this boat, he, as he approached Rome, I don't see any of those people here. So just kind of keep that in mind as we read forward here in Acts chapter 28. So like I said, let's go back to 14, where we found brethren and word, so the word brethren there, these are believers. And we, and were desired to tarry with them seven days and so we went toward Rome. And for instance, when the brethren heard of us, uh, they came to meet us as far as Api. So there's more brethren. So there is a boatload of people coming and seeing this man that they were concerned about and they got a letter from and they wanted to see him and they were looking forward to him coming so forth. So once again, here are believers that whether he knew them face to face, some of them he did perhaps, some of them not. Some of them may be in this list we read over there in Acts chapter, or in, uh, or back in Romans chapter 16. And verse 15. And from thence, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he, he thanked God and took courage. It kind of implies to me, and don't take my, my word for it, that Paul recognized some people there. So this was kind of getting good for Paul. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief 
of the Jews together. Now we get rid, or now we cut off those who are believers, and we're talking about Jews. There's possibility some of these Jews believed, but let's see what they had to say about it. I mean, there's surely somebody has written letters to these people and say, look out, because Paul's coming. If you can get him, come on, we want to kill him, you know, that kind of a thing. And so uh, let's read this again here. Verse 17, it came to pass after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together, not the brethren, but the Jews. And when they were come together, he said unto them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people. So he gives his defense here. Against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spake against it, I was constrained to appeal unto Caesar, not that I had I had to accuse my nation of. For this cause, therefore. Have I called for you to see you and to speak with you? Because that for the hope of Israel. Now we have a hope that really begins to engulf a lot of places where we've read the word hope. During the Acts period, there was the hope of Israel. These come from the words, from the mouth of Paul. Because that for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. And they said unto him, we're ready to kill you, Paul. And letters from all over the place about who you are and how bad you are. No, no, no. It doesn't say that. Verse 21. And they said unto him, we, ne- we neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came uh, showed or spake any harm of thee. But we desire to... So here we understand that um, probably in Paul's mind, he was expecting to run into a, a lot of resistance. But these guys say, we haven't even heard. What are you talking about? But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So they had heard of this, the, the word that was, that had become so, uh, such a, uh, a sore note with the Jews, Jewish people. And, and so uh, things seemed to be accommodating here. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he had. So I would say this would refer, be referring to um, believers, the brethren. I would assume there's brethren there, as well as Jews, Jews who had not made up their mind about these, these issues. They were hearing it really for the first time from the Paul tongue, uh, from the tongue of Paul in a manner that they had never heard of before. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him and to his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified, what? The kingdom of God. Persuading them concerning Jesus. Wait a minute. Why didn't Paul say concerning them, concerning uh, the Lord Jesus Christ? Why didn't he use that title? He used the earthly name of this man, who came down to earth and who gave his life and was slain on the cross. And and that it doesn't go beyond that. That's what this title means. If I can get a Jew 
to believe that he is indeed, if Jesus is indeed the Messiah, if I could get one guy to believe that, I've done something miraculous. But that wasn't the case. That name, if he would have said the Lord Jesus Christ, these people would would have understood. I mean, if if they would have understood, they, that would have been a a major victory for the Apostle Paul. So let's keep that in mind. And by the way, this is the kingdom of God. And how many times does the kingdom of, of the of God appear in the book of Acts. I did a study there in South Carolina several years ago when we kind of looked at this particular thing. If you look through the book of Acts, you will find seven locations that it speaks of, hang on one second here, let me go back to verse one. It speaks of the kingdom of God. Now tell me what this is. Chapter one, Chapter 1, just the first few verses here. Uh, verse 6. When they were therefore, this is when the Lord appeared to the to the, many of the uh, people who believed. And uh, now he's gathered together with them. Uh, verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith that he... Uh, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So after the Lord told this to this group here, here's, here's their, resp- uh, their response. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of David to me? I think that's what these these are believers. These are hey, these people stood there and heard many times the Lord speak of the kingdom of God. Because the word is not there, does not mean this is not the subject. In fact, of the seven times it's used here in the Book of Acts, all of those this is the only one that speaks uh, directly to people, it's people that are responding about the kingdom of the of the kingdom of God. So I have no other. I should not doubt that this he's speaking of the kingdom of God, not the kingdom to Israel. That is the kingdom of God. Does, I mean, does anybody disagree with me? Please raise your hand. I want to know the truth. Is that what the truth is? So let's go back to act. I'm, I'm getting, uh, you're, you're probably scratching your head saying, what in the world does this have to do with anything we're talking about today? And uh, I think it's very important because we're talking about the hope of Israel. So, what do we read over here in Acts 28? Let me read again. Uh, when they had appointed him a day, this is verse 23, there came many to him and to the lodging to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, the man Jesus. They have, they have not accepted the fact that this Jesus died for them and his title is the Lord Jesus Christ both out of the law of Moses, persuading them concerning Jesus, out of the law of Moses, and this is important here because there's a lot of people who think, or who, who will argue about this issue of the uh, that we read here concerning the hope of Israel, because most people believe the hope of Israel is, has to do with the Gentiles and, and the whole you know nine yards of, of information here. But these are Jews that he's dealing with directly for a purpose. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. 
And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. Or they, and this is the word that's also used for divorce. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well, spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet. Well, these are many words, but it, it is all associated under one word. By, by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers. We've read this a million times, no doubt. Saying, go unto this people and say, hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see and not perceive, for the heart of this people is wax gross. I think they could have stood it up until that point. But when he starts telling them things that they don't want to believe about themselves, we've got trouble. For the heart of this people is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they uh, closed, lest they should... Lest, Sorry, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. So we've read this before. We understand this is the third time it's been used in the scripture in the New Testament. I'm sure, sorry. It's something that really struck home and it's the, it, this represents words bet, between God and these people. I mean, this is the barrier right here. If we're talking about the Gentiles, we've got to go over to Ephesians and read about the barrier, which was the middle wall of partition. Two totally different things here. Be it, there, be it known, therefore, unto you that the salvation God, let me read that one more time, that the salvation God is sent unto him, to the Gentiles and that they will hear him. Now, the... Uh, <clears throat> The word salvation here is one of five times that it's used. This word is used in the Bible. Not 160 some odd times. If, if you read the word salvation someplace else here in the book of Acts, it's going to be a different word. This is an adjective. It's not the, uh, the word that you normally think about with, with salvation. It, but this is a description. This, this word uh, literally, at least, says that this is the, uh, sorry, here, hang on one second. This is the salvation, this is speaking of the salvation God. There's a title there that I'm implying here. Many years ago, I'd say 25 years ago, <clears throat> when we were doing Bible explorations, I wrote an article uh, entitled, um, The Salvation God. I think I had six of the six messages of that, knowing not knowing the Greek very well, uh, but I had stumbled across this one day on my own. I've never heard anybody ever say anything about the fact that this salvation is not the salvation you read elsewhere, which speaks of the noun. This is the, this is a description. The salvation God is the one. In fact, let's read these verses. I didn't really mean to get into this. Well, maybe I did into this part of the of our study, but. Uh, I'm going to do some things here real quickly. Let's look back at, and of course, and, and, oh, okay, so we have the, the adjective soterion in the Greek, and we have the word soteria in the, the Greek, which is the word, the noun for, so, for uh, salvation. So Luke 2.30 real quick. So these are verses that I had never I mean, I've, I've been through everything I could to find out if, if somebody would write about that, and I didn't have that. 
It's interesting that a couple of years ago, I stumbled across a, a Bible site. Okay, I said Luke. Bear with me here, please. Luke 2. Um, I stumbled across, a, 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 I think it was a German site. It's available to all of us, and it's, uh, it's an X-28 site. And this pastor, who knew the Greek, wrote an article on this very thing and recognized the fact that this was an adjective. And he goes through each one of these words and, and does something, or looks at it, and, and in each case you're trying to fill in what the adjective is. Uh, so, I mean, that, that would be one for yourself. If you, if you want to learn some Greek and, and, and muscle your way through that one, that's a, that's a challenge. Luke 2.30 real quickly. This is concerning, um, well, let's see here, 2.30. Back up one or two verses. Uh, I'm sorry. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost, I should say Holy Spirit, I don't like the word, in English word ghost there, that he should, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the, the child Jesus to do so for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, this was the day he was waiting for. Ready to die, he's, this was it. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. This is the, this is that word that, that is not one of, of 164, but it's one of five times used. One more place, I think, in, in here, in, uh, in Luke. Find us again. Let's look at uh, three six, chapter three six. Uh, this is a quote of what we read in, in Acts twenty eight, and so it's all flat. So he, so here, uh, who are we talking to? Anderson kind of was, the, uh, the word came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Is 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 what we read here? But here he quotes the same thing Paul does. And he quotes about, he uses the same word there, that deals with the salvation God. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to, to know Greek and to, and to do this. Read the one article that was very pointed and addressed these and acknowledged them as verses that uh, this word salvation is more than just a noun. It's a, it, it represents, it, it identifies and modifies something. And, uh, let me see. Uh, real quickly, let's look at Ephesians 6.17. And this one's a little bit easier to place, I believe. We're running out of time here. Let's, let's finish with these two verses. Ephesians 6.17. This is a, referring to the armor that we have. And we read here, and take the helmet of salvation, or take the salvation helmet and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then finally we read in Titus 2.11. And I believe this one really identifies 
where we're going with this. Titus 2.11. Let's back up a couple of verses here. One, uh, uh, start in verse 9. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. But purloining, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, Savior, in all things. The doctrine of God, our Savior. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. The salvation bringing God hath appeared to all men. So here we have probably the best option on the fact that this is <coughs> an adjective. So having said all of that, we uh, they like uh, uh, perhaps we I can say that we've kind of sidetracked here, but we t- we've taken a look at what this first hope is all about, and it is about this one. Uh, uh, Savior that belongs to us, and we find there in the book of uh, book of Ephesians, um, and we look at these things as opposed to uh, what we read about the the nation of Israel during the Acts period and so forth. I think most of us know that. Um, once again, you go back and read uh, Ephesians chapter one, and you're overwhelmed with what is being accomplished through this one. Group here that uh, that is identified as a <clears throat> first hope. What we didn't do, and I apologize, is that this is to look at the just a few verses. We won't we won't do it now, but a few verses that deal with this idea of a first hope. It's not a it's it's more about uh, the idea that these are. And we'll, tr- we'll we'll do this next week. Uh, Unless next week somebody else is speaking on my behalf. But uh, anyway, we'll, we'll take a, a closer look at that as how this applies to what we were talking about in the beginning. So I uh, apologize for the fact that, uh, yeah, I've gone beyond my time and, and probably uh, made it tougher to, <laughs> uh, to understand some of the things that are associated with the, what the scriptures are trying to accomplish there. So let's, uh, repo- uh, let's, let's have a word of prayer. And uh, and thank the Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your wonderful word. May it give us wisdom. We ask that we we uh, are put in a position that allows us to have wisdom and to have the truth that you that Paul paid, prayed for there in Ephesians chapter one. We uh, we look forward to an understanding and knowledge of the Scripture that we will acknowledge and benefit from. Thank you for this group of believers. Once again, we ask your hand upon those who are in need. And uh, we thank you especially for all the saints. What a joy it is to share things concerning the Lord Christ Jesus, our hope our hope and our calling. And these things we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> and I, I said there are hope and our calling. It's, it's his hope. His, his, our hope and his calling, uh, is the wording there. So, <clears throat> I'm gonna let go of the microphone.